Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC through the lens of Mississippi. I am Parrish Alford, the Ole Miss beat writer for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, and I'm joined today by Brad Henderson, Ole Miss baseball radio analyst and career hits leader. We're talking baseball in the program today, a very exciting finish for a not-so-good weekend for the Rebels. Brad, how you doing, man? I'm good, Parrish. Thanks. Tell us what's going on with the Aflac insurance today. Well, I don't know about Aflac other than Nick, Nick Saban, but uh, at Alpha, we're trying to peddle some uh, homes and cars and autos and boats and everything in between, and it's all good today. It's a beautiful day over here in Oxford. Brad, I am so excited that I have done that only a couple of times. I, I mean, I, I need y'all to have a duck or a lizard or, or somebody. I, mean, I need something like that on the TV screen. Maybe just uh, maybe just Brad Henderson, Ole Miss clips, you know, coming on the TV screen every time. That's something that's uh, really going to get me uh, tuned in with, with uh, Aflac. But uh, I appreciate it. Tuned in with Alpha, I should say. Um Brad, tell me a little bit, man. Uh, we we were talking off camera about uh, about the weekend and just so much so much going on there from the eighth inning on. And watching this team with three home runs in its last seven at bats, uh, we had heard uh, much of the series that LSU's bullpen uh, had some issues. Uh, struggling in a sense that uh, that Ole Miss has the last few weeks, but uh, what were you seeing there in that comeback? Uh, were they were these guys hitting fat strikes or good pitches? I think it was a little of both, and uh, you know it started out in the, in the oddest way because T.J. McCants comes up and just gets fisted, you know, ball right off his hands, and they kind of were playing a shift on him, and the third baseman was playing him in, and. The ball just was a lazy fly ball almost in between third and, and shortstop. It hits almost in the grass, and they can't make the play. And uh, from then on, it just snowballed on them. And uh, I thought we were good staying with our approach as far as getting aggressive early in the count. They were getting fastballs early. And uh, and obviously, it made them pay. I mean, it was a dramatic finish for everyone that saw it or that read about it or listened to it. Uh you know, Chatagnier obviously hits a huge three-run homer there. Uh, I, well, and let me let me backtrack a little bit. You know, after TJ did that, then we then we get two outs, and so the innings. You know, you're, you're an Ole Miss fan. You're thinking, man, we're fixing to get swept. And uh, anyway, we get we get another guy on, and then TJ. Uh, I'm sorry, Peyton pops the big three-run homer to cut it to nine to five. So you're thinking, okay, well, we got a shot in the ninth now. You know, we're. we're well, you know, here we go again. Kevin Graham leads off with a single, and then we ended up uh, – I can't remember who was after Kevin. Then, obviously, Bench takes a close three-two pitch that uh, I think ultimately got Paul Maneri thrown out of the game, but we load the bases up, and on the first pitch, T.J. McCants hits a grand slam to center field. So, uh, just like that, we're, this game's tied, and you're thinking – I was thinking, am I really watching this? Because uh, – you know, we just hadn't hadn't played well all weekend and didn't hit well with the runners in scoring position. Had some costly errors that looked really bad because they're magnified when you're not scoring runs. But uh, then obviously uh, we get out of a uh, you know they, they get a, a one out double from Dros there in the ninth and Broadway strikes out the next two to get us out of it. And then 
obviously the heroics from Kemp Alderman was, uh, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a memory none of us will ever forget, much less Kemp. Well, hey, folks, we're going to come back to this before we get too much deeper in the podcast. We want to thank, thank our partners, the Oxford Park Commission. Registration continues for summer day camp at OxfordParkCommission.com or by visiting the Coach Howell Activity Center. Camp will serve ages 5 to 13, cost just $300 per camper per session. Sessions run June 1 to 25 and July 5 to 30. Drop-off begins each day at 7.30. Pickup is 5.30. Games, arts and crafts, swimming, and outdoor activities are just some of the activities that campers will take part in daily. And OPC is still looking for lifeguards for the city pool for the summer. The season starts Memorial Day weekend and runs through Labor Day. Candidates must be at least 16 and have a current lifeguard certification. Contact Aquatics Director Jamie Chandler at jamie at oxfordparkcommission.com if you have questions or just apply online at oxfordms.net. That's J-A-M-I-E at oxfordparkcommission.com with questions. Brad, lots of times, man, <clears throat> covering baseball for us is like, it's like election coverage. You know, you watch so much of it and then you just have a projected winner, okay? And when it was six to one and nine to one, I had a projected winner. I had about 400 words, 450 words written on the game story. I had another event to get to with the Grove Bowl. So I like bailed out uh, sometime around 2.30. And I was in the football press box there when, uh, when the comeback, comeback started. And you, know, you talked about this team staying with its approach and whatnot, but We've seen this before. It was kind of reminiscent of uh, being down 11 to nothing um, against Arkansas and coming back. We're not able to finish that game with a win. But uh, still, to come back from 11-0 down and, and tie the game was, was dramatic. What's, is there something, is there a trend in, in this Ole Miss team that, that gets them to the seventh inning when they're behind and all of a sudden it's just like, Hey, the pressure's off. Let's just swing. I mean, what, what, uh, what do you think uh, helps them uh, get to this point? Well, I think it's just they they play. They're as relaxed as I've ever seen, and, and I don't say that uh, in a derogatory term. I just don't think they get uh, overwhelmed by by a deficit. They 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 feel like they're in every game, and I think that goes back to you know one through nine. They're pretty good through that lineup. Now they'll show some some holes every now and then, uh, especially you know on some breaking ball stuff. But uh, you know, I just don't ever think that they think they're out of it, and, and I think that is a um, I think that's a characteristic of a really good team. I think that's a characteristic of a uh, quality team, uh, and and I think it's a characteristic of a lot of young guys playing that just don't know any different. And uh, so, you know, again, just phenomenal day, uh, I guess, or phenomenal last two innings. I won't even say day because uh, we were out of that game for so long. But, uh, you know, you just hope that it catapults them. They get the week off as far as mid midweek goes. You know, that it catapults them to, to carry some of that momentum into the South Carolina series. Yeah, um, great finish. Three home runs in their last seven at-bats. And, and finally, the home runs came 
with uh, with people on base. So really a big finish there. All right, Kemp Alderman. He'd had mm-hmm. seven at-bats by the time he got up in the ninth inning. Um, no real scouting report on this guy. LSU started him with a fastball. I think there's going to be a scouting report on him now. But uh, what did you think, man? Was that, was it a, was that a good pitch? Uh, was that a good way to start out a guy you didn't know much about? I mean, he walks up there big and strong. You figure he's got some power. What did you think about how LSU pitched him? Yeah, no, I thought I thought that was the right call. I mean, you've got a, a freshman with literally no playing experience, and uh, other than one single in the midweek game, you know, hadn't really done anything. So, typically, as a staff and who, whoever, I'm sure Alan Dunn was calling. Well, I know Alan Dunn was calling pitches then. Uh, you want to get ahead because you certainly don't want him sitting on a one zero fastball or. But he guessed right, and uh, obviously you can see the strength he had. It, the wind had – it wouldn't have mattered if the wind was blowing in. That ball's going out. He's that strong of a kid. And, and it kind of reminds me of John Rice Plumley going back to last year. If you threw John Rice a fastball, he, he, he had a shot in his at-bat. Uh, but we saw him be susceptible, susceptible to the breaking ball. Uh, and I think he's gotten a lot better at that. So, yes, I think Kemp will see a lot of breaking balls uh, until he proves he can lay off of them uh, or he proves that he can hit them. But that's anybody in this league. All these guys hit fastballs. Uh, but, no, that was the right pitch call at the right time. It just didn't work out for LSU. You, you don't bank on a guy with seven at-bats hitting one 420 feet into the student section. Uh, but I think – that what, what, what's so unique about Kemp is he's going to hit some balls. He's going to hit some balls off the end of the bat. He's going to get jammed some, and he's still going to leave the yard. He's just that strong, and he's got a uncanny ability uh, that really nobody else on that team has to hit the ball out of the park. And it's funny, but <coughs> we talk about his power. <coughs> Excuse me, Parrish. Paul Maneri did batting practice on Saturday. Uh, watched him take VP and gave him a standing ovation uh, when he finished his batting practice round. So it just goes to show you that it's 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 a he's just on a on a different level. And when he figures it out, uh, he he's going to be scary in the in the years to come. Well, I know I've heard you say watching some of his batting practice and and others that the ball just leaves his bat in a different sort of way. Obviously, uh, Paul Maneri recognized that. Another interesting story about uh, Paul Maneri, uh, we were sitting beside uh, uh, Wilson Alexander of the Baton Rouge Advocate uh, this uh, this week. We, you know, not a lot of guys traveling during COVID, but I'll tell you the advocate, man, you know, with, with LSU baseball and what that became, these guys go to every game, like all sure. the time, you know, pandemic or not. <laughs> they're just – they are always there, and there are some interesting stories about that. But uh, – uh, Wilson was telling us about a conversation he had with Paul Maneri last week, and unprompted, uh, Paul Maneri said, hey, let me tell you about this team. You know, did you see that that 11-run comeback against Arkansas? They're down 11 to nothing. They come back and tie it. That can happen to anybody in this league. This, that's this, this league. That can happen to anybody. So I thought that was kind of, uh, you know, uh, an unfortunate kind of eerie uh, for Paul Maneri. Look, he still had a good weekend. They, they won the series. Sure. But uh, for him to bring that up unprompted. Uh, Kemp Alderman, what did you think of his composure in that moment? Looked real aggressive. I mean, looked confident like he wanted to be there in that moment. 
Yeah, no, he 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 accepted that challenge and he was up for it. And I, I think it helped. You know, he came in earlier in the game. Uh, and, and I think, one, because we were down eight runs, and two, Leatherwood was still banged up, you know, so they, they made that switch. And so he, he was already kind of in the game, in the moment, you know, because he had made some plays in right field and had an at-bat and – uh, you know, and I think that helped too, because right now, obviously, the more at bats he gets, the more comfortable he's going to be. But you you could see Coach B go up to him before that at bat, and I'm sure the game plan was hit the fastball early in the count. So when a coach tells you that he's expecting you to do that, it makes it a lot easier to go up there and put a good swing on it. And uh, obviously, it was a per- perfect timing, perfect swing. Um, and and it, again, it's a moment he'll never forget, as as well as a lot of old Miss fans. It was uh, it was just one of those that you knew we needed. Uh, you knew it was possible with him, uh, probably not likely, uh, but we struck lightning in a bottle. And uh, you know, you, you just hope he builds off that uh, and and continues his growth as far as his uh, freshman year continues. Well, I, I tell you what, Brad, uh, after a dramatic finish like that, obviously the, you know, the Kemp train is uh, gaining steam right now, and, and he's, he's the hero of the moment. Uh, and it's a stretch. It's not easy. What, what you know, it's not easy to go from uh, hero of the moment to really being a, a 300 hitter who, who does that on a more consistent basis, particularly with, with his level of experience. What, uh, what can help um, Kemp reach not the expectations of a fan base, which I think uh, are often inflated, but uh, what can help him be a guy that, that uh, Mike Bianco says, I got to get him in the lineup? Well, I think, number one, I think he, he played well enough defense the other day. Uh, he runs really well. He's a big, strong kid. Uh, but that, number one. And uh, but because we could certainly use him in some matchup situations um, and, and then just the support of his teammates. And you could see the joy in their eyes the minute he hit it, uh, that they're all pulling for him. Uh, and, and then if I'm Kemp Alderman, I'm going to your Kevin Grahams. I'm going to the Tim Elkos uh, and, and asking them certain different situations. But at the end of the day, it's all about getting at-bats and getting experience. So I think that's one downside to not playing a midweek game um, is he won't get that. But, yeah, just, just keep keep the same approach he's had. I think, obviously, our, when he got the midweek start, he was a little overwhelmed by the situation, and everybody is in that aspect. But uh, I think the more he can play, the the – the game will slow down, and uh, I, I think we'll see him excel. You just hope it's sooner than later because we've only got four weekends left before postseason begins. You brought up T.J. McCants earlier, man. It's it's almost like that grand slam that ties the game at nine gets overlooked because of how things finished with, uh, with another freshman. You know, T.J. McCants seems like a sophomore right now, but another freshman with the big at bat there in the ninth. But McCants – remembering that he also is a freshman. Brad, we were charting him uh, during the series, and there was at one point that he had nine strikeouts in his previous 12 at-bats. Yep. And that's kind of the freshman consistency that these guys are working to get past and to overcome. But what we've seen with TJ this year is, you know, that big hit is around the corner. Yep. You know, you can live with non-productive at-bats for a time, 
you know, if they don't just grow. But uh, it seems with him that uh, that big play is coming. A big hit is around the corner, three hits in that third game. Did you see something different uh, in that eighth inning at bat there, the grand slam? We've seen him yank one, uh, you know, pull a home run. We've seen that. Uh, that was straightaway center. That, that was a lot of power. Yeah, and it was first pitch. And and luckily, with him being a left-hander, they liked the ball down in the zone, and it was just kind of down and out over the plate. And Again, that, that's been their approach is hit the fastball early, especially with these young guys. You know, don't, don't set them up for failure by telling them to go deep in counts and sit on breaking balls because they're not used to seeing breaking balls like this. And, uh, no, I mean, you look up and – TJ's leading the team in hitting right now. He's hitting 345, which is just unbelievable for a true freshman. Uh, you know, and Gonzalez. I mean, he's hitting 316 after this weekend. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of youth, but man, I, I don't know that anybody expected those two to be where they're at. And Ole Miss wouldn't be where they're at right now with, with those two either. But I do want to say this as well, because I don't want this to get overlooked. We, we've, we've been pretty hard on them, and rightfully so, some of that bullpen. But I thought what Jack Doherty did getting to Myers to get to Broadway, uh, it'll get overlooked with all the home runs and the Kemp Alderman story. But that's a story in itself simply because maybe you can start to find some identity with that bullpen. Uh, now you can look at Doherty, Myers. If you put Derek Diamond back out there, you know, considering Gunner comes back, I haven't heard – uh, the status on Gunner yet, but uh, now you've got three or four arms out there with Broadway that maybe can bridge some gaps to maybe uh, to, to winning a series. I tell you what, uh, I have tried hard not to overlook that bullpen because I have been, uh, I, we've all pointed out uh, their shortcomings for several weeks, but I thought that pitching plan uh, was executed the way that, uh, that Mike would want for the first time, and it seems like forever, to go set up, set up Broadway. Um, Jack Doherty, three and a third, one hit, a walk, three strikeouts, just a really, really strong SEC debut. There was a lot. You are talking about freshman hype. There was a lot for him after that Austin P game when he struck out five of the 60 faced. Now, in a start the next week, he was – a little more vulnerable, but you know, not not so much that that it was a backtrack that that uh, that Bianco lost confidence in him. That that didn't happen. A really solid SEC debut for Jack Darty. Uh, Tyler Myers a good inning, and and then for Broadway to come back after he didn't pitch well on Thursday, and he threw forty seven pitches while he didn't pitch well. Came in had a really good ninth, pitched around a one out double with two strikeouts. Looked like uh, the Taylor Broadway that we've seen a lot of this year. Yeah, it was a very good uh, performance by the bullpen after after some real struggles. Uh, so that that was that was good to see. Uh, that was next up on the bullet list there. Uh, Brad wanted to bring up the bullpen. Tell me about Bus uh, Justin Bench there. Three two count. He gets a walk. That ball to me, I thought it was borderline. I thought it could have gone either way. It looked like uh, low and inside, maybe at the edge of the strike zone. Uh, Ole Miss got a call there, and Maneri got uh, ejected. What uh, what did you see on that pitch, man? Were, were you holding your breath there? Uh, yes. Uh, it could have gone either way. That's a hard pitch to take. But it was that in, inner half that, that Justin – and 
people pitch Justin in all the time. He's been hit 14 times all year, which just lets you know that they're trying to bust fastballs in on him. Yes, that's a tough pitch to take. We we, we got the call, uh, probably 50-50. Obviously, Maneri didn't like it, uh, and it came back to bite him. But, uh, you know, if you're going to mount an eight-run comeback and, and score nine to win it, uh, you, you got to catch a break here or there. And I thought we certainly caught one. Now, I'm not saying it was right down the middle. That, that ball could have been called a ball or a strike. It just worked out in our favor. Uh, and, and then we obviously got the big uh, grand slam from TJ. So, you know, you, you got to have some things go your way. And uh, that certainly went our way. That call did. And, and it worked out for us. I thought, Brad, for about seven in the third innings, this team didn't look like it had a lot of energy, uh, you know, making some mistakes. Just, just looked uh, – the body language wasn't very good. Uh, game one, there were the errors in the first inning, really made it tough on Derek Diamond, who pitched extremely well in that game. The small ball issues, defending those uh, in game two, just in the big picture, the series, I, I don't think uh, the home run, the finishing game three, uh, I don't think it means that everything is well with this team. There are still, there are still some, some things they've got to correct and get better, but um, – I think it, it's a lot easier to go into an off week after a finish like that than to be uh, sitting back thinking about being swept for uh, five days before South Carolina comes. Sure. And, it, you know, I, I, I think about it a lot after games, you know, what we could have done better. But, but for me, Parrish, it's, it's – it, and I'm an offensive guy, so I, I think it falls on the offense. Uh, yes, did we, did we botch some butt plays? Sure. But, you know, in one of those games uh, around the third inning, we get first and third, nobody out, we can't score. Another time we get – I think it was five times going into about the fifth inning on the game three that we had first and second, nobody out, and didn't score. Well, if you got three or four run lead, number one, they're probably not bunting in those situations. And, and – Number two, the pressure is not – it's not magnified but because you, you have shown the ability to score some runs. But when you're not scoring and, and, you're, and you're botching bunt plays, you're, you're throwing the ball into center field, you're making errors, uh, it feels like a, such a much bigger hill you've got to climb to get back into that game. Uh, we're going to make mistakes. All teams do. And, and certainly you try and clean those up. But if we can't hit the ball – you know, if we can't get first and second score run five, out of five five shots, you know, five opportunities, that's on the offense, you know. And, that, and I go back to game one. We get first and second there in the ninth uh, after they, you know, taken the 5-4 lead and we can't score. Uh, you know, it just gets it just gets hard when, you, when you're not getting those big hits. And you don't have to get it every single time. But if you can get one in the second inning and one in the sixth inning and – then, then that game, it's a totally different – the game looks totally different. Uh, and then I think you you play it differently in the late innings. So, again, we swing it well enough to score more early, and uh, we just didn't get it done. And, and then, you know, that middle game, I thought Labus was really good. He did a nice job working out of jams. Uh, but that was the most frustrating part to me. Are you seeing anything consistent in these at-bats with runners on base? You know, I think a lot of times we get antsy on the first pitch. And typically, 
in this league, if you get runners on base, a lot of times these guys will pitch you backwards. And Labus certainly did that on Friday, which was game game two. And I thought uh, Marceau did that on, on Thursday in game one, where you, you get a runner in scoring position um, and they, they may start you out with that breaking ball or they may start you out with that change up. And I thought we just did a poor job of not recognizing those pitches and instead uh, lunging, reaching out for those pitches and hitting weak ground balls or weak fly balls. Now, I, I don't think we change our approach, but once you see that it's a breaking ball or, or a or change up, try and lay off that because you're not used to hitting those the majority of the time anyway. And uh, But credit LSU's staff, too. I thought they did a really nice job of getting ahead in counts. Uh, and, and you can go look at the numbers from the weekend. When we were ahead in the count, we really hurt them offensively. And when we were behind in the count, I thought LSU did a nice job of getting off the field. LSU changed the game with small ball there in game two on Friday, really executed the uh, the bunts well, had a stolen base in that stretch. Uh, uh, Mike Bianco has had teams that bunted more. Uh, this is not one of them. That hasn't been his approach this season. When you don't bunt uh, very much as a team, does it stand to reason that your bunt defense is going to suffer? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I don't because when, when you're working bunt defense – in practice, and you're working on it as a defense, it has nothing to do with what your offense can do. Uh, because you, you're, you're essentially, when you run a button defense in practice, you're rolling balls to the third baseman, you're rolling them to the first base, you know. So it's, it's, or you're having guys bunt. Uh, I don't think that has any translation to uh, us not being prepared for when the other team bunts. I just think we didn't execute. Uh, and I don't have a reason for that. I mean, I, I look at Peyton Chantier, and two of those where he was just late getting to first base, and I couldn't figure out why we didn't make that correction sooner. But this goes all the way back to uh, Monroe did the same thing to us, and, and we couldn't get off the field with Monroe. Uh, you know, again, we may not work on it as much now because typically SEC teams don't bunt a whole lot. And you want to spend your time in practice focused on the majority of what you're going to see. Uh, but I, I really and still don't understand why Peyton couldn't get to first base sooner than he did, other than he was in double play depth, which puts him closer to second base. But at some point, he's either have to going to scoot in or scoot over one of the two. You're going to have to give up one or the other. And certainly you don't want to give up that free base on a bump. Well, it was nice to see um... – <clears throat> It was nice to see Derek Diamond bounce back with a strong SEC start. Uh, difficult start for Drew McDaniel. I hope those guys kind of aren't passing one another. You would like to think that uh, that Ole Miss is getting deeper with its pitching right now, especially with uh, the unknown of, of Gunnar Hoagland. So we'll see. No midweek game for the Rebels. You get a night with the family on Tuesday. So uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. And uh, South Carolina is in town for – Friday, Brad. It's uh, look, man. I'm I'm really disturbed. You got a a six thirty, then a six o'clock. I mean, who who wants a six o'clock Saturday night with a noon Sunday, man? That's uh, did, <laughs> did, were you the one that signed off on that? Did you set that up? No, I'm gonna say ESPN and the SEC Network had something to do with that, Parish. But uh, it still should be a great weekend. You know, they're coming off a, a two out of three weekend where they get, had lost. 
so it's two really good teams. It's, it's going to be a good matchup, but uh, hopefully Ole Miss can get this thing turned around. There, We still have 12 games left. There's a lot to play for. Uh, everyone's disappointed about the LSU weekend, but uh, like we talked earlier, ho- hopefully that momentum can carry over to Friday and hopefully Gunner's healthy. Uh, I don't think we'll know anything till later this week, but uh, obviously another huge weekend for Ole Miss. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC through the lens of Mississippi. Check out our work at djournal.com. Find that drop-down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Ole Miss page and watch the stories flow. We're on Facebook as well. Ole Miss discussion with Parrish offered lots of good things in the group there. Thanks for being with us, folks. Come back and join us tomorrow.